Um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read. Uh, God, we give you the glory. Thank you for the sunshine, finally. Um, but we also thank you for the rain. God, we, uh, we come before you this morning um, seeking as seekers, as disciples, as students, as people longing to know you um, in different ways and deeper ways. And so, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. And, Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, the third day has no really cool meaning with like, whoa, Jesus raises on the third day. No, no. It really has to do with kind of the chain of events that happened with Nathaniel in, in the previous chapter. And they're just trying to, John is trying to set up this timeline thing. So Jesus kind of shows up. If we kind of do the math, some scholarship, they, they figure that Jesus shows up around Sunday at this wedding. And he, so he happens in at this wedding on Sunday. And a wedding is a, a very big deal in first century Jewish culture. Um, in fact, a wedding celebration would last about seven days, okay? And so you would, you would get your party on for seven days when somebody was getting married. And, and your family would be invited, your extended family would be invited. In fact, the entire community, your entire small round community would be invited to celebrate you for this wedding. Now, it's interesting that Mary is mentioned here, Jesus' mother, and Jesus is mentioned and his disciples are mentioned. Probably that this is a wedding of, of maybe... Um, of uh, Jesus' cousin. So it's a very close family member of Jesus. He has been invited to this wedding. He shows up on Sunday, and the wedding has probably been going on for days, and we'll see later why they, they think that. And so we find him at this celebration. Uh, verse 3, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. The wine is gone. There's no more wine. Now, now remember, this is very important that the idea of the open bar did not start in America for weddings. This is an ancient practice going way back to Jesus' day because it was the responsibility of the host to supply the wine for the entire celebration for all the guests. And so Jesus figures, or Mary figures out that the wine is gone. Now, the way tradition has it, um, a man and a woman come together, they are betrothed, they are engaged, okay? And um, this engagement is a legal contract. If you want to get out of this engagement, it's, it's, it's more or less a divorce. You have to take legal proceedings to get out of the engagement. But the engagement lasts for about two years because the guy's got to go, he's got to build, he's got to add on probably to his father's house because in his father's house are many rooms and he would have to add on for a place for his bride. And this could take a year, usually it's about two years because they had to save. This is a big deal, a wedding. And so at the end of this engagement, at the end of this betrothal, then the wedding ceremony would take place. Now, the wedding ceremony, if the woman was a virgin, the wedding would take place on a Wednesday. If the woman was a widow, the wedding would take place on a Thursday. I don't know. It's just one of those things. And so, and so Jesus, if he's there on a Sunday, this thing's been kicking for a bunch of days. There's this celebration happening for many, many days. And he finds himself, and, and there is no more wine. See, this is a celebration. 
This is a party. This is friends. This is family. This is, this is extended family. This is a huge, huge celebration. And they've run out of wine. Wine in the Jewish culture represents celebrating. It represents joy. In fact, Psalm 104 says that, that God made wine to gladden our hearts. And there's something, there's something about sitting down with friends over a glass of wine. I mean, it's not the same as sitting down with friends over doing shots and beers. I mean, there's a whole other mentality going on with that. But there's something about a glass of wine with friends. There's something about a meal with a good wine. Now, listen, I am not advocating drunkenness. I am not advocating abuse. I'm talking about friends gathering over a glass of wine. It almost acts like this social lubricant. And people begin to talk. And people begin to, to just kind of open up. And they're, and they're free in conversation. Now, in the Jewish tradition, wine is a gift of God. Not grape juice. though that is also a gift. But wine is considered God's gift to his people. It's used in a lot of Jewish ceremonies, religious Jewish ceremonies. Um, at, the, at the beginning of the Sabbath, at the, um, during special holidays, you would recite the Kiddush prayer. And you would recite this prayer over a glass of wine. The wine would be in the Kiddush cup. And the prayer is just to recognize, to acknowledge the sacredness of the day, of the Sabbath, or of the holiday. It's, it's used in the Passover Seder because it it's represents rejoicing. It represents celebrating. And they would take some of the wine out of the glass and they would pour it into a broken bowl because wine represents joy. And the Jews recognize that though they've, been, they've uh, got their freedom from Egypt, but their joy is not perfect because, because of their freedom, because of their liberation, people suffered. The Egyptians suffered at their hands. And so they recognize that, that their, their, their joy is not perfect. And, and in the Proverbs 24 says, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. And they take that very literally to say, we are pouring out some of our joy because we know that in our liberation, people have suffered. Four glasses of wine are drank at the Passover Seder. Now, I think it's more or less the, the tradition nowadays is, is a toast, four toasts. And it represents the expressions of God's redemption. It's, it, God says, I will take you out. I will save you. I will redeem you. And I will call you as my people. And each glass of wine, the celebration glass of wine, represents the joy of God's statements to his people. This is not about abuse of alcohol. This is about the celebration of God's gift to his people during a wedding ceremony. The bride and groom will drink wine twice. Once, um, the first time, they'll stand under what is called a hoopah. It's kind of a, um, uh, I don't know, a small little tarp, and it represents the, the God's blessing, and the rabbi will, will pray over them, and they will drink out of the same glass just a sip of wine. And that wine, that wine there represents life. And, and the Jewish tradition says that, that, that in this glass of wine, and what it represents is, first, uh, wine starts out pure, like grape juice. And then it enters into the sour fermentation stages. But then at the end is blessing. And they liken that to life, that we all are born pure. And we all get a little sour in the middle. But hopefully at the end, we recognize God's blessing. Again, it's the responsibility of the host in first century Judaism to supply all the wine for all the guests for all seven days. 
And to run out is a big faux pas. It's a big no-no. It brings embarrassment. It brings disrespect. And in fact, some scholarship that I read says that that people can take um, legal action against you. You can be sued for running out of wine. Okay? This is what, in the context of the Jewish tradition. And so Mary tells Jesus, Yo, Jesus, they're out of wine. This is is a huge deal. This is a big to-do. And Jesus understands the implications of what's going on here. Now, I don't, I wrestle with whether or not Mary is expecting him to do a miracle. I, I don't think she's saying, Jesus, they're out of wine. You need to do a miracle. Jesus hasn't done any miracles up to this point, at least not recorded in the Gospel of John. Now, I, I know that Mary would have, would have recognized the whole thing that he went with John the Baptist and the, and the Spirit of God and him walking around and people saying, there he is, the Lamb of God, he's going to take away the sins of the world. And we know that, that at his birth, when the wise men came, Mary hid these truths in her heart so she knows there's something very special about Jesus. But I don't think that she's asking him to perform a miracle. I believe that she is just looking to her first son because we, um, we think that Joseph is dead by now. She's looking to his, her first son, and use his resourcefulness. Like, you got to do something. Don't let this couple be embarrassed on their wedding day. Don't, don't let legal, legal proceedings happen for this couple. When, as they enter into life together, they have this weight of embarrassment on their shoulders. So she asked Jesus to do something. And this is Jesus' response. Woman, happy Mother's Day. No, why do you, inv- <laughs> why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. We can see here that maybe the relationship of Jesus and Mary is starting to change a little bit. Now, woman in in that ancient context probably isn't as bad as it sounds to us. Like I would never call my mom woman unless it was a joke and I was standing about that far away. And, and, and so, but, but, but we can see that Jesus doesn't say mom, doesn't say mother. He says woman. And, and there's, this, there's this tension that begins there. And, and this expression that he's using in the Hebrew is, is he's saying, what does this have to do with me and you? What do we have in common over this situation? And the answer is really nothing. They, they have nothing in common at all. Jesus says, listen, my time hasn't come yet. God bless you. What do you expect me to do? And Jesus is actually in a sense, rebuking his mom. Woman, don't you concern me with this? And, and I wonder, I have to wonder if, if Jesus is thinking, man, if, if I do something, like, cat's out of the bag. Like, uh, it's, it's done. I mean, I just can't do it little, man. I, I'm Jesus. And, and what do I do? I don't have wine at my house. What am I supposed to do? And, and I can't help but wonder if, if, he's, if he's just asking his mom, Mom, you don't, you don't realize what you're asking me. If I do something now, everything changes. From this point forward, everything changes. And we can't go back. We cannot go back. Things will change forever because this is much bigger, much bigger than saving a newlywed couple from embarrassment. This is much bigger than just continuing to make the party rock on. This, is, this goes way beyond like a really cool wedding present. I mean, he's not giving a good bottle of wine. He's giving like 180 gallons of really good wine. This is what Jesus is about to do. He's about to launch 
forward and reveal who he is. He's about to kick open the door of the kingdom of God and say, things are going to be really different from here on in. It will estrange him from the Jewish culture, from Jewish leaders, and ultimately from his family. What Jesus is about to do is scandalous. And let's see why. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called to the bride, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Jesus, he never does anything just for the sake of doing it. Everything Jesus would say, everything Jesus does, everything he teaches has some purpose behind it, some deep meaning that many times um, we don't get many times the disciples didn't understand many times the people who followed him just completely missed. And this is one of those times he, he is about to begin to reveal the glory, the weight of who he is in a very profound, profound way. He looks around and he sees, he, he sees six jugs that were used for ceremonial washing in the Jewish tradition. Now, remember, this is not the first day of the wedding. This is not the second day of the wedding. These are days in. They're running. They ran out of wine. There are other uh, receptacles for wine. There must have been wine skins. There must have been jugs. There must have been containers that Jesus could have used to make water into wine. But he chooses these six really big jugs that are used for ceremonial washing in the Jewish tradition. This is why Jesus is about to become scandalous. You see, ceremonial washing is a big deal in the Jewish tradition. You had to always make sure that you cleaned yourself up before you came to God. You were always, you were always dirty and you always had to be clean. And this is what this, this whole washing took place, that you would have to clean yourself up. Devout Jewish men every morning would get up and they would ceremonially wash their hands not because they were dirty, not because the way we do, we wash our face and hands in the morning. This was to be right before God. Because see, the hands, the hands represent uh, two of the divine attributes that we share with God. Kindness and severity. And severity is not a bad thing. I wish I can go into a little bit deeper, but, but just trust me on that. So, so these, our hands represent kindness and severity. And see, in the Jewish tradition, they believe that darkness at night is the, the moving around. It represents the, the world in which we live in, the broken of the world in which we live in the mundane world that that we all take part in and for the jews they would take they would they would um be recognizing that they are walking and moving through this world 
And nighttime represents this, this darkness, or I'm sorry, represents this, this, um, the world, the brokenness of the world. But prayer, Torah study, mikvah, these represent light. And so the Jewish man would get up every morning recognizing that he is in this world and he's walking through this world and he would wash his hands with water to make sure that he would purge anything impure from kindness and severity, lest he forget what these things should be and how he should honor God with them. You see, in the Jewish faith, you were always a sinner and you always had to be cleaned up and you would always sin again. And you would always have to be cleaned up and you would sin and get clean and sin and get clean and, and become ceremonially unclean and you would have to focus back what God has called you to. It was a never-ending process. The people at the wedding would have all had to wash their hands for this very reason. You cannot partake in the blessings of God being ceremonially unclean. The Mosaic Law, Leviticus, you can just read about constantly washing and washing, washing your clothes, washing your hands, washing your body for numerous, numerous things so that you would not be unclean before God. This is a huge deal. This is what these jugs, these jugs that Jesus is about to use are used for a sacred ritualistic purpose of making people holy before God. This is, this is no joke. They would have been treated with, these jugs would have been treated with respect and reverence. These are religious icons. And Jesus is about to change water into wine. Jesus is taking the entire tradition of you need to get yourself cleaned up and right with God. You need to wash up. You see, you see the, the, the water is not only, not only a, a, a um, example of your cleansing, but it's also a reminder of how dirty you actually are before God. It's a constant reminder that you need to clean yourself up before you even think about enjoying the blessings that God would have for you in your life. It's, it has to do with, with making mikvah, that you would renew and cleanse your very soul. And you would do this over and over again. It's about, about climbing some type of religious ladder. You clean up, you take a step up, and maybe another step, but oh no, you get dirty again and you come back down. And it's this constant striving and doing and doing and striving. Jesus is going to use the jugs that contain holy water that make people holy before God. Jesus is going to use the jugs that represent the hoops that need to be jumped through to get to God, to make you good enough to get to God. This represents religion at its core. All the steps that we have to do over and over and over and again to get God to accept us. Jesus is saying, listen, enough. Enough with that stuff, enough with the ritual, enough with the traditions. There's something new that's going to take place here. You don't have to clean yourself up anymore. You can come right to and join into the celebration that God has for each of us. There's no longer a constant cleaning and no longer do you have to recognize how dirty you are. You can move from the self-deprecation of your sin and the need to be cleaned up all the time to a place of being cleaned, period. 
and a place of celebration. Jesus is moving us away from you are dirty before God. You are clean through me and you've been invited to the celebration. He has begun to deconstruct religion at its very, very core. Rituals will no longer get us to God. Jesus gets us to God. And now once and for all, we are free to enter into his celebration because wine represents joy. Wine represents celebration. The holy water represented how dirty and messed up you are. And that's just a reminder that you have to continually clean yourself up to come into the presence of God. Jesus says, no, 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 see, that's done. Now you are invited to celebrate. You are cleansed once and for all. all. Jesus is replacing all of the things, the trappings of religion with himself. It's over. It's done. Very soon he will tell Nicodemus, you can be born again once and for all. You see, this is not just about Jesus whooping up a good party. And if we always concentrate on, well, it wasn't, it was the new wine, it was grape juice wine, and it wasn't really, man, we missed the point of the whole story. In fact, that whole argument is the exact thing that Jesus has come to kind of pull apart the religious things that we hold on to because Jesus is changing religion to relationship. Jesus is changing doing to it's done. I know last week we talked about John the Baptist saying he, he has come to make the paths straight for the Lord. And we said that this is, this is about clearing the obstacles from the road. And that he came in a deeper sense to say, man, clear the stuff that's in your heart away so that the Messiah can come do the work. I believe those obstacles are those religious things that we hold on to. It's the striving that we hold on to, that we have to get this right in order for God to accept us. And wait, Dennis, didn't you say last week that that discipleship to follow Jesus, it takes work, it takes commitment, it takes passion. It does. Not work and commitment and passion to climb some religious ladder, but compassion to work at your relationship with Christ. Jesus is changing water into wine. Jesus is changing your dirty and no good into come to the celebration. Jesus is introducing us to a scandalous grace that only God can show. You see, if you are constantly working for God's acceptance, if you are constantly working to get yourself right with God, longing and, and, and just kind of pressing in and just, I need God's approval, it will take the energy and the life away from you. And one of two things will happen. You'll realize that you can never get it done, and you will walk away. And I've seen it happen. People just continually strive and try and try and then say, you know what? It's not worth it. I can't do this because they don't have to. Jesus has done it and they walk away. Or you become almost narcissistic in your, in your mindset. It becomes all about you. It becomes all about what you need to do. It becomes all about your forgiveness. It becomes all about how you need to work to get accepted by God. And you lose the things that God has called you to do. And even if you can refocus and begin to serve your motives could be very, very wrong. Because you're serving from a place of, I need to achieve this so God 
will love me. Trying to earn God's approval, trying to earn God's love and acceptance is not the way God wants you to work for his kingdom. It's been done. The water is changed into wine. You've been invited into the celebration. You know, I am. Um, I wrestle with. I need to love people so that God will love me. I need to forgive people so that God will forgive me. And, and I, need to, I need to accept those people that aggravate the death out of me because I know I aggravate the death out of God and, and I want God to accept me. Jesus says, that, you know what? That's done. See, see, our love should come from a place of recognizing you're already loved. And our acceptance of other people should come from a place of, man, you are already accepted. And our forgiveness of other people should come from a place of, you are already forgiven. Jesus has taken religion and said, enough with trying to jump through the hoops. Come and celebrate what I have done. Jesus is bringing us the new covenant. Turn to Jeremiah 31. Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. He has a, an amazing story. He, at one point, he is very angry with God because he feels God had lied to him and seduced him. So having that conversation with God. Verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, whom I took by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. God says, listen, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to create a new covenant. The old one, the old striving, the old trying, the old following, all of the rules, the old style of getting yourself cleaned up to enter into the holy things of God, that's done. And this is what Jesus will say. This this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is saying, listen, something new is going to happen. It's going to go from this external thing to internal. I'm going to change people's hearts. There's going to be a condition of the soul that people are going to enjoy. No longer will, will there have to be a striving and a trying and a doing and a doing and a doing because I'm going to get it done and it's going to be once and for all. And the very people who are waiting for this covenant to happen, the very people who are waiting, the Jews, they, they know this. They know that God is going to do something new and they reject it. They would reject Jesus. They would consider what he has just done with the water and the wine and the ceremonial jugs as scandalous. How could he do that? Doesn't he know the sacredness of these jugs? Doesn't he know what these things represent? That we have to get ourselves right with God before we can see and experience God. That we have to get ourselves holy before we can take part in anything sacred. 
God already said, man, I'm, I'm going to do something really different. It's going to be really new. And Jesus, beginning here, begins to usher in that new, newness. Jesus says, uh-uh, it's going to be relationship over religion. It's going to be truth over tradition. And so I guess, what's that mean for us? What's, what's, what's this whole story? You know, um, I've talked to a lot of people that have that can't get past this whole water the line thing, that Jesus could not have made an alcoholic beverage. We giggle, but it's true. And people are adamant. There is no way that this could have happened. It was the new wine. It was grape juice. Listen, the, the master of the banquet would not have said, this is the really good stuff if it was grape juice. Historically, that falls apart. And so if Jesus came back today, if he walked through the door of this church today, what would he bring as a scandal? How would he begin to deconstruct our religion? What would he say to us? What would he do to us that we would just go, (gasps) because we read this and we just accept the story as the story. Yeah, okay, that's really cool. It was scandal. It was. It would be like Jesus coming in here and dropping the f bomb a few times, and we would be like, "That's what he did here." So, what would he have to do in our lives to free us from the things that we hold on to more dear than our relationship to God? Where would he have to deconstruct our lives? What would he have to pull out? What scandal would he bring to Oasis? What scandal would he bring across the country to all God's churches? What does God need to do individually in your life that you would open your hands and recognize, man, I am chasing hard after something that really means nothing, or I am trying to do what's already been done. What do we have to do as a church? What do we have to do as a church to release those things that just keep us bound to religious tradition? That Jesus is like, you know what? Stop enough of that. Maybe, maybe the first thing we do is we, we throw a party here at the Grange. We're outside and we have beer. I know, scandal. I know. But isn't this what Jesus is doing? You know, Jesus was known for a lot of things. Two of the things he was really known for, the quality of his parties and the people he hung out with. He threw some amazing parties. And he hung out with the dregs of society. And, it, and, they, and the religious people said, ah, he must be a drunkard and a glutton. And look at what he hangs out with. Jesus, scandalous. And taking apart religion and going, you know what, enough with trying. How oh, I'm enjoying the celebration that God has laid out for you. So what does Jesus have to do in your own life? What does he have to do for us as a church? I don't have the answers. I got really two really good questions, though. But you see, I think that we will be wrestling with those questions for the rest of our life. And as we answer them, and as God reveals those things to us, we will engage and enter into and walk in the scandal of grace. Let's pray.
God, we recognize you as scandalous. God, I pray that you would just get rid of the junk that we hold on to. Get rid of the, the, the things that we just hold dear that mean absolutely nothing. God, I pray that we would stop striving for your acceptance. We would stop striving for your love, that we would move to the celebration of who you are and what you've called us to. God, we don't want to be hunkered down and weighed down by religion, but we want to be free in the relationship that Jesus has called us in with you. So God, help each one of us here do the hard work, the soul searching that it's going to take for us to move from there to here. God, we want to honor you with our life. We want to be able to share what you're doing with the world. But we want to do it in such a way that brings you glory, that doesn't bring death, that doesn't bring condemnation upon people. God, I pray that we would not take the scandal of grace um, to the extreme, God, and think that we can get away with anything. But we would recognize the change in our lives. We would let go of the things that don't matter. That we would bring relationship over religion. That we would engage truth over tradition and live in freedom. So thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your example. Continue to do the work in each one of our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're giving an offering. The joy box is in the back. Have a great Mother's Day, mothers. And remember, Father's Day is next month. <laughs>